Hey church, good morning. Today I am preaching at the great Bellevue Baptist in Memphis, Tennessee uh, for my friend Steve Gaines. And today you have the privilege to hear again from Dr. Charles Lowry. He is going to teach you the Word of God, but I want to take a moment, encourage you and implore you and beg you. If you've not signed up to come and be a part of this marriage conference tonight that Charles is going to lead, you are missing out. It's going to be funny, it's going to be relaxing, and it's going to be informative and he's going to help you in your marriage. So do not miss tonight at the Battle Creek campus uh, with Dr. Charles Lowry. Now again, put your hands together and welcome him to the stage. Hey, good to be back. And I'm going to be with you all day. Your uh, pastor knows some of you need a psychologist all day, don't you? <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to do a little commercial plug. If you come back at 4 o'clock, you need to register for this. We're going to do the Relationships Matters Seminar, which is based on a psychological test. It's actually a secular test. People say, well, well this is church. Why do you use a psychological test? Well, all truth uh, is not in the Bible. The Bible's all true, but not all truth is in the Bible. Uh, we discovered things God allowed us to, like penicillin, lots of stuff that isn't in the Bible, that we use because it's true. God allows us to discover that. Uh, we've discovered some psychological truth. I call it spoiling the Egyptians. Remember when God's people left Egypt, uh, he told them to spoil the Egyptians. Take whatever you need in order to have a great life. So we take from psychological research whatever we need to have a great life. So I'm going to teach you some things tonight. Uh, I promise you will help you have a great life. You know we're going to have a good time. I'm so old, I don't go anywhere that we don't have a good time. So I wouldn't come if we didn't have a good time. Uh, so we'll have a good time tonight. I will teach you how God designed you and how he designed those people around you. And you will learn that the difference is the dynamic. You see the world, members of Ponzi scheme. The world always says things like this, you can be anything you want to be. Now, that's a lie. <laughs> you can't be anything you want to be. I mean, I wanted to be shortstop for the Yankees, but I couldn't hit a curveball. I'm not going to be shortstop for the Yankees. I can't be anything I want to be. Uh, uh, you see, all creation screams that you cannot be what you want to be. You can only be what God designed you to be. I mean, look at creation. You got a cantaloupe seed to ground, what's going to come out? What's it going to be? going to be a cantaloupe. Got a watermelon seed? What's it going to be? Watermelon. Now that cantaloupe seed can say this. This is America. I can be anything I want to be. I don't want to be a cantaloupe. I want to be a watermelon. They go to a lot more picnics. They get a lot more publicity. I want to be a watermelon. And that cantaloupe can decide. I am going to a watermelon training school. I'm going to be a watermelon. I'm going to develop the seven highly effective habits of watermelons. I'm going to, I'm going to get Rick Warren's book and be a purpose-driven watermelon. I'm going, to, I'm going to get Joel Osteen's book and be a highly anointed, favored, blessed watermelon. Highly anointed, favored, blessed watermelon. I'm going to get some of those subliminal things at night while I sleep. I'm going to play watermelon thoughts, watermelon thoughts, watermelon thoughts. I'm going to go some new age hotbed, channel up some 400-year-old guru, let him sit bow-legged naked, hum, and look at his navel and hold a crystal and hum watermelon thoughts hum watermelon thoughts I'm going to walk on fire go to Tony Robbins seminar prove I'm capable of being a watermelon I'm going to go to psychotherapy get in touch with my inner child maybe my inner child was a watermelon at one time you can do all that but when the cantaloupe seed comes out of the ground what's it going to be it's going to be a sorry no good dysfunctional cantaloupe why because all you've done to it that's why you see we're going to teach you how God designed 
you and your uniqueness. Now, in order to live a great life, you have to plan on doing stuff like this. You, see, if you're not careful, you'll live life not by direction, but by distraction. It's like when I go to the grocery store. I go to the grocery store. I know what I'm supposed to get. I'm getting grapes and bananas and maybe some bread, but... Uh, and some fiber. My wife says at my age, I need fiber, you know, which means I'm going to live five years longer, but four years is going to be in the bathroom. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, what kind of trade-off is that? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, but when I get to the grocery store, there's Twinkies and ding-dongs and Snickers and ice cream and all kind of stuff. And if I'm not careful, I'll get to checkout, realize I wasted a lot of time, spent a lot of money, on stuff I really didn't want or need in the first place. Most of you will go through life, if you're not careful, by distraction. You need some direction. I'm going to give you some tonight, this afternoon, 4 o'clock. You come register for that. Now, today we're going to get back to where we were when we left last time. We're going to, and of course, everything I teach is practical. I mean, I've always been practical. I mean, even when I was in private practice, I was practical. I mean, one of my first patients couldn't remember anything. I said, uh, when did your problem start? He said, I can't remember. I said, how long you had it? He said, I can't remember. I said, what have you done about it? He said, I can't remember, doc. I can't remember anything. What do I do? I said, here's what you do. You pay me in advance. That's what you do. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> always been practical, you understand? <laughs> We're going to continue in a, out of a series, what we call Relationship Matters. Because let me tell you. No matter how much money you have, no matter how high you go up in your career, no matter what accomplishments you are able to uh, finish and succeed at, if you don't have happy relationships, you will not have a happy life. I promise you. Relationships matter. Here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3. It talks about husbands at first, and it says we're to dwell with each other with understanding. That means that we have to listen to people. Everybody's loved in a different way. In order to love people, you have to listen to them because everybody, it's like a combination lock. People have different numbers, and you have to know those numbers for people to feel love. Then it says we're not return evil for evil. That means we're to overlook. And then it says we are to give value. That means we look out for people. It says it this way, that we're to be compassionate. We're to love as brethren. We're to be courteous to people. That means we value people. Then it says we're to bless people. That's why we're here. Actually, God called us to bless. That means we encourage people. And then it says if you do that, that you're... God's ears will be open to your prayers. And it says you will love your life and you will see good days. I've never, anybody in my practice, I've never seen anybody that, that would say this. I don't want to love my life and see good days. Everybody wants to love their life and see good days. And God says the key is relationships and how you treat people. So you got to realize that God has the power. So I just spelled out the word lover to you. You know how I preach. It's kind of like Bible scramble. We take letters and we talk about them. So we're going to go through the word lover. Now we can't go exactly through the whole word. We'll never make it. I've never actually finished a message in my life. And because we started it last time I was here, we get stuck on the L. Why? Because L, remember, stands for listen. You were here last time, you remember? I told you that men, uh, we got to really work on listening uh, because women communicate in a different way. You see, women talk more for interaction than they do for information. Women talk more for rapport than they do report. Women talk more about the process than the product. 
So for men, we have to work extra hard at listening. So I said, for a man, you got to put everything aside. You got to lean forward, look him in the eye. Anybody remember that? Me telling them that? Lean forward, look him in the eye. Then we said inquire. That means you got to do active listening. That means you got to respond to something she said. And if you remember last time, I said some of you just at these two steps would be progress. Just look her in the eye and say, tell me more. Remember that? Okay, so we're going to get past that today. We're actually going to get to S because S stands for this. And remember I told you also that word psychological. Don't listen psycho, listen logical. Don't let it build up. Uh, So all those things remember as we talk about the next letters, which is S, which stands for stop interrupting. You see, a man thinks his job is to fix things. So if I can jump in and give you an answer, I can jump back to the ball game. You see, if I can jump in and fix it, I can jump back to the computer because we think all we got to do is come up with the answer. But see, she's not looking for the answer. She's really looking for assurance that she's important in your life. I'll give you an example. I uh, was in private practice. People pay me good money for my answers. So I'd come home from work, and my wife would say, Brianne did this, Casey did this, Angela did this. So I thought, well, she wants my answers. I'm going to tell her, why don't you do that, and maybe Brianne will do this. Why don't you do that, and maybe Casey will do that. Why don't you try that, and maybe Angela will do that. And she says, why don't you shut up? She starts walking off. I say, hey, lady, they pay good money for this down at the practice. I'm giving you it for free. You know, she didn't want my answers. There's no answers for preschool kids. I mean, you're alive. They're alive. Success. I mean, you know, uh, see, she didn't want a solution. There's no solution. You know, she wanted a little sympathy. This is hard work. You see, she didn't want my mouth, she wanted my shoulder. You see, I'm the first adult boy she's heard all day. But mainly she wanted the assurance that her job was the most important job in the world. And it was, she was taking care of my preschool kids. You know, I, I, I'm in a practice, I don't even know those people and well, most of them are half crazy anyway. So you know, I, 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 she's doing the important part, but she needs to be reassured of that, you see. So stop interrupting guys. Now, I have to balance this a little bit because women interrupt, but for a totally different reason. Women interrupt because men do not get details right. You see, women and men are different. Women notice everything. Women pick up on stuff, especially in relationships. They, you have an argument with a woman, two years later, she'll know what she was wearing, what you were wearing, what time it was, you know, what, you know, all that. A man, he, he has trouble just remembering, you know, what year it was, you know. He, he, he doesn't, uh, a woman will notice the pillows out of place on the bed, you know. Uh, men can't remember where to put the pillows. I mean, there's 11 of them. I mean, you can't remember that, you know. So women think that men think the way they do, and when they tell a story, they ought to have all the details right. Lower your expectations, women. It is not woman talk, it is man talk. And man talk is about half true. That's the best we can do, all right? You know, that's that's the way we remembered it, all right? And there's men that we're talking to anyway. They know it's not totally true. They're a man too. So they'd say, it's half true, but I'm listening because he'll listen to me when I don't get it right, you see? That's man talk. But women, you cannot let it go. A guy's trying to tell a story, and he'll say it was on 
Tuesday. And the wife will say, it was Wednesday. And the guy said, it's a weekday. Who cares, you know? Uh, and it was at McDonald's. And the wife say, it was Wendy's. Well, it was a hamburger. Who cares who you eat ham- where you eat hamburgers? Uh, and, and we were with the, the McDonald's and the Smiths. And she'll say, it was the McCulloch's and the Smith. Well, the story's about the Smiths. Who cares who they run around with? I mean, and, and finally he just says, you tell it. You tell it. Ladies, let it go. Okay. It's not lying. It's man talk. It's the best he can do. All right, you're not going to get to heaven and St. Peter say, you let your husband mess up the details, you have to go to hell. It isn't going to work like that, you know. Let it go, okay. Lean forward, inquire, stop interrupting. Tell them what they said and how they look. Remember, nonverbal is important. You know, you got to pick up that nonverbal communication. And then ask if you're correct in your assumption about it. See, most, see, when you assume things, it's not the things we don't know. Most of the time we get in trouble, it's the things we think we know that isn't so. Because we don't, we don't talk about it. We don't check it out. Uh, I used to teach a class on college communication. And the first question on that test would always be, blank is the lowest form of knowledge. And I'd want those college students right in the word. Assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. I had a football player in my class. He put my brain as the lowest form of knowledge. <laughs> and I gave him credit. So, uh, uh, but you see, you've got to ask people, am I interpreting this correctly? A guy will come home from work and uh, uh, he, his wife is sitting on the sofa. He comes in and says, how would you like to go get a steak tonight? And the wife kind of uh, yawns a little bit and says, oh, yeah, that'd be good. And the man doesn't say anything, but inside he's talking to himself. And remember, that's where it goes psycho inside when you're starting to build it up. And he starts thinking, she never wants to eat where I want to eat. You know, she never wants to. I mean, every now and then you got to have a steak. She wants quiche or salad. And he just starts to build it up. And after about 15 minutes, he says, she says to him, I thought we're going to eat. Well, we were, but you never want to go. You didn't want to go. And he just, you know, he goes psycho. You know, he could say this. Honey, I said, let's go get a steak. But you yawn. You act like you're tired. And you really act like you don't want to go. Do you want to go or not? Oh, I am tired. Man, it's been an exhausting day. But boy, steak would be great. And by the way, with a man, it's really good to use this phrase. That's a great idea. All right. Uh, See, men are just 10-year-old boys grown up. That's all they are. And they want to hear that. Great idea. That's why men stay at work all the time, because people say great idea. They know they're paying them for it, but they just love to hear it, you know? Uh, So there's a lot of things in life where you eat, stuff like that, that have no consequences whatsoever. So when a man makes one of those decisions, just say, great idea, you see. Uh, then you would be eating instead of fighting, you see. Uh, uh, let's give you another visual. Let's say you buy you a dream house. And cost, let's, say, let's say it costs $400,000, you buy a dream house. And you're in it about three weeks. And the wife says this, this kitchen sure is inconvenient. Well, a man will go nuts on the inside. 
inconvenient. It's $400,000 inconvenient. She doesn't like this house now. We got to sell this house, pay a real estate, buy another house. Probably going to cost me another $80,000. The kitchen's inconvenient to move. But he could say this, honey, you said this kitchen's inconvenient. Does that mean you don't like this house anymore? Oh, no, honey, I love this house. This is our dream house. But remember how that pantry in our other house, remember it had those four shelves right here to the right when you walk in? If we just had four shelves here, it would be perfect. You see how four shelves cost $100? You see how you just saved $99,900? If you just listen, you see, lean forward, inquire, stop interrupting, tell them what they said and how they look, and then ask if you're correct. E stands for express comfort. If you're going to be in a relationship for a long period of time, you need to learn to comfort each other. And for men, this is just deciding, I'm not gonna run away from difficult times. I'm gonna be there. You don't, you don't know what to say, but you stay there. Because uh, men have a tendency not to wanna be there during difficult times. Learn to comfort each other. It's a fallen world, bad things are going to happen. My wife and I got married, if you told me that I would lose a grandson at age two, that I have a granddaughter at 18 months would have a massive stroke. I would say, I don't see how we can get through that. Well, we got through that together, comforting each other. There should be places where you can go to get comfort. Places, the beach or the mountains, places that are, have things so big that God has created that your problems will look a lot smaller as you comfort each other. And by the way, if you're comforting people, you're not trying to get over something. You'll never get over certain things in your life. You're just trying to make it through those things. You don't give them platitudes or quote scripture. You do something practical for them. I lost my grandson, the, the lady that gave us the most comfort. She said, I will come to your house from nine to five for two weeks. I'll bring my own lunch and I will take phone calls about what happened to your grandson, and I'll explain what happened, because I know you don't want to tell that story again. And she did that two weeks in a row. That was such a comfort to me. Learn how to comfort each other. And then N stands for never look at your watch when your wife is talking. <laughs> now, remember, ladies, men get very stressful when you say, let's Talk. All right, that's right up there with leprosy and root canals. I mean, when you say, let's talk, he does not vision a wonderful day, you see. Uh, so, he f he's a little boy grown up. Remember, he's 10 years, so he fidgets. You know, if he gets nervous, he fidgets. So, let me give you a legitimate fidget, because I want this to be practical, so you can get your man to talk. You see, men like to fidget and talk. I, uh, I'm a golfer. And now, my buddies and I play golf. The golf swing only lasts two seconds. Even if you hit it 100 times, you only played golf 200 seconds, right? But you're out there four hours. So what did you do? That's how men talk. We fidget talk. Talk, fidget, fidget, talk, talk, fidget, 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 talk, talk, fidget, fidget, talk. That's how we do it. Women can talk, 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 talk. 
makes us nervous, 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 nervous. So find some kind of legitimate activity that relaxes the male so he can talk. Now, let me give you one, all right? Uh, this is for coming today. I'll just give you something practical. Learn to take walks together. That will be a legitimate fidget that will help relax the man. It will, it will give you a better chance of agreeing because the mind and the body are connected. Matter of fact, you, it's almost impossible to disagree walking in the same direction. Watch somebody disagree and they're walking in the same direction. I promise you they'll stop and turn toward each other every time. See, so learn to take walks together. All right, listen, key to great relationships. O stands for overlook. And this is as far as we're going to get today. We're going to camp out here just a little bit. Because if you're going to have great relationships, you have to learn to overlook. And that is one of the hardest things for our earth suit, our Adam suit to do. Because we don't want people to get bowed stuff. We think we're the ones that ought to point it out. You know, had a guy call me at 2 a.m. one night, told me my dog was barking. I called him at 2 a.m. the next night to tell him I didn't have a dog. You know, that, you know, I just wanted him to experience what I experienced, see? And that's in all of us. We, we have a hard time doing that, and we overreact to little things. Had a lady, she, uh, she had a son, teenage boy, who had the day off. School was out for some reason. She had to go to work. So on the way out the door, going to work, she said, could you today just take the clothes out of the dryer for me? Just take clothes out of the dryer. And she goes to work. She comes back home from work, and the boy, teenage boy, forgot to put the clothes in the dryer. And she said, I pitched a fit. You know how mothers are. Some mothers can actually put their mouth in gear and go off and leave it. You know what I mean? I mean, said she just went after him. Only thing you had to do was put the clothes in the drawer. But no, you cannot do that one thing. What did you do all day long? Can you not put? I mean, she just went off on him. And she said he interrupted her, not in a rude way. He just said, Mom, could I ask you a question? She said, what? Says, when you're up at the church talking to your friends, they say, my daughter's pregnant. We don't know what we're going to do. My son's on drugs, you know. Uh, my son's becoming an alcoholic. My son's in prison. Do you say, that's nothing. My boy forgets to put the clothes in the dryer. And she said, all of a sudden, I started to realize I get upset over things that do not matter. There's a uh, play. It's called Philadelphia, Here I Come. It's a, it's a powerful play. It's about a man in Ireland who decides to go to America, Philadelphia, to seek his fortune. The, the play takes place in Ireland, and it's about a family, a father and a mother and a son, and the son and his dad never got along. Matter of fact, it got so bad, the son said he hated his dad and he was leaving, and it was never going to come back. Now, let me just help you guys here for a minute. There's two characteristics I've noticed. If you have these two characteristics, there's a strong possibility your teenage boy will grow up to hate you. These are the two characteristics. If you're always working, always working, and you're always right, you're never wrong about anything, be careful. Be careful. Well, 
this boy decided to go to America to seek his fortune. So he realized he'd probably never see his parents again. So he comes home one last time to say goodbye to mom and maybe even say goodbye to dad. He had dinner that night with his parents and it went well with mom. Of course it always did, but it didn't, didn't go well with dad. It, it never did. But late that night, dad and son bumps into each other at the refrigerator. One of those late midnight snacks, I guess. And I guess their inhibitions were maybe low or maybe they were just sleepy. But for the first time, father and son started to talk and started to smile and started to reminisce. And, and the boy brought up a fishing trip and they start talking about that fishing trip. And then the boy said, Dad, what I'll never forget about that fishing trip was is that red boat. And Dad said, well, son, it was a blue boat. He said, no, Dad, it's the only time you ever took me fishing. Really, I'll never forget it was red. He said, son, I rented the boat. It was blue. He said, well, Dad, Dad I, I don't care if you rent it or not. I mean, I can see it in my mind. It, it was red. I'm sure about this one. He said, you've never been sure about anything in your life. It was blue. And they start hollering over the color of a boat. And they go to bed angry. The play closes. The curtain is closing. The next morning, the boy's at the bus stop with his suitcase waiting for the bus. He's going to America to seek his fortune. He'll never see his parents again, probably as long as he lives. The mother has tears in her eyes and waving as the son waves from the bus stop. And as the curtain closes, you can look through the house. And in the back of the house is the man with his back turned. And you know there's a man and a son who'll never have a relationship. And the reason is the color of a boat. And you say, uh, I can't believe people fight over stuff like that. Liar, liar, pants on fire. We all fight over stuff like that. And if you're not careful, it'll end up destroying the relationships in your life. Learn to overlook. Matter of fact, I preached this message in Arkansas. And uh, a guy was standing in line. I was signing books. And you kind of, you know, kind of look at the line. And he's about fourth in line, a really fidgety guy. I knew this guy's going to have some, you know, this is going to be a story. You know, something, something up here. Uh, so, you know, everybody wants to talk to a psychologist. So I, I waited in line. And, uh, he finally gets to the front. And he said, uh, that message was for me. He said, I, I get upset over little things. He said, when my wife and I got married, it seems like every time I'd go to the bathroom, there would be no toilet tissue. Just that cardboard cylinder staring me in the face. So I told my wife, can't you change the toilet tissue? She said it was no big deal to her. She said, I change it as much as you do. He says, no, you don't. She said, yes, I do. He said it was no big deal to her. But it was a big deal to me. And from then on, every time I found that cardboard cylinder, I would take it off. And I would write the date and the time when I found it. And I started gathering my proof. He said I'd put them in a big black plastic bag. Every time I found one, put the date and the time, put it in my big bag. After about a year had passed, toilet tissue came up in the conversation. And I said, lady, you've never changed the toilet tissue as much as I have. She said, oh yeah, I have. He said, no, you have not. I have 
proof. He said, I started hollering at my wife. I ran and got that big bag. I started dumping out all those cardboard cylinders. They're bouncing everywhere. And I was screaming at my wife, there's proof, lady. I got a date and time for every one of them. He said, my wife's eyes got big. She looked at those cardboard cylinders. She picked up one and saw the date and time. And she said, you're sick. He said, I'll show you who's sick. We're going to see the psychologist. He said, I gathered up all my cardboard cylinders. Said, I look like Santa Claus going into the psychologist's office. The psychologist said, how can I help you? And I went berserk on that. I said, I'll tell you, I got a lady that's never, I started hollering at the psychiatrist. The psychologist, I'm never, he's never changed. I got proof, I got proof. He said, I started throwing them out. Cylinders bouncing everywhere over the psychologist's desk. His eyes got big. He looked back at me and he said, you're sick. (laughs) I carry these around. (laughs) The reason I carry these around is uh, I'm sick. (laughs) And the reason I bring it out today is to remind you that You're sick. We all have the ability and our Adam suit wants to get mad over things that do not matter. Matter of fact, I was speaking back east, one of those uppity churches. Anybody ever go to those uppity churches back east? You know, they sing uppity, they talk uppity, it's dress uppity, it, it's all uppity. You know, they, they uh, just have uppity churches. And, and I, get, I get invited every now and then to those uppity churches. And, you know, I, uh, I have kind of a hobby. One of my hobbies is to destroy the dignity of uppity churches. I mean, you know, uh, I figured that's what Jesus would do. If he's here, he's not, I'll do it for him, you know. So I thought this uppity church would be a great place to tell my toilet tissue story. So I was telling my toilet tissue story. Now, in those uppity churches, you've probably seen them. They got big old chairs on the platform. You know, you don't, you don't get this. Pastors don't sit down there. They sit in their big old uppity chair, you know. So this pastor's in his big old uppity chair. So he's up there with me, and I could kind of glance over, and he was not liking the toilet tissue story. I mean, kind of veins starting to come out a little bit and face getting red. And uh, so I go back. And after it's through, I got to go sit in my uppity chair. I don't get to go down there. I got to go. I got an uppity chair too, you know. So I got to go back to my uppity chair, which is right beside his uppity chair. And so I still got the toilet tissue in my hand. So in front of about 3,000 people, I just handed my toilet tissue. I said, here's a little memento of me being in your church. Just kind of handed it out there. His face got even redder. Veins got even bigger. He took that and he slammed it into his pocket. And I'm thinking, well, what I'm, what I'm really thinking is do I have the check yet? You know, because I got a no-show, no-dough job. So uh, church is over. We have to go down steps because, you know, those uppity churches got to get down. So you got to get down the steps. We close the door and he turned to me. All the anger started to drain out of his face. He said, I don't know if you noticed that I seem to be somewhat upset on the platform. And I said, yeah, doesn't, doesn't take a psychologist to spot those big veins popping out. Uh, he says, you won't believe what happened this afternoon. Then my wife and I have been married 33 years. About two hours before the service, we got in the biggest fight we've ever been in. It was over toilet tissue. I thought she called you and told you about it. 
I don't know what you fight over at your house, but I doubt if it's worth it. Think about it this way. God, because of Jesus Christ, has chosen to overlook, overlook everything you've ever done or will do. All he asks is that you overlook the things in other people's lives. I guarantee you, there'll come a time in your life when you look back, you'll wish, I wished I'd overlooked that thing. I wished I hadn't gotten up so upset about that. We moved to Dallas, Texas. I started a psychological counseling center for Dr. Crisle at First Baptist Church, Dallas. At the time, probably the largest church in the world. Had three girls and we'd met some friends who'd been there about six months and they were gonna take us out to eat after church. So we met at a certain location because it was a big church and kids would get lost. So we always had a certain location we met. So I gave everybody the on time speech. Have new friends taking us out to lunch. Everybody be on time. I gave them the on time speech. Time comes, we're all there. Everybody's on time, but my teenage daughter, Angela. You know how that is. Just became a teenager, put on the bed normal. They wake up weird, just happens. <laughs> Five minutes, no Angela. Ten minutes, no Angela. Finally, the couple says, look, we know the restaurant's going to get crowded. Why don't we go ahead and save a table? Thank you so much. Other couple said, look, we know you're new to Dallas. We will stay and you can follow us to the restaurant. Thank you for saving the table. Thank you for letting us follow you. And underneath my breath, I'm going to kill her when she gets here. 15 minutes late, Angela bebops up. You know, teenagers, hey, Dad, how's it going? And by then, I am what King James would call ticketh off. <laughs> I am mad. But hey, I'm the psychologist at the largest church in the world. So you can't holler at your kids at church. So you have to develop the fine art of hollering with your mouth closed. So I said, Angela, where have you been? I've been to Sunday school. No, you have not. You're 15 minutes late. Where have you been? No, I've been to Sunday school. No, will you tell me what happened? It's just, oh, it's dad, calm down. I am calm down. Tell me. She said, dad, it's an all girls class. We have Sunday shoes. They're very uncomfortable. We take them off before class. We put them back on after class. But this time during break, somehow the boys, they got into our class. They stole our shoes and they hit them. And it took us 15 minutes to find our shoes. And then I say what parents say. I call them parental stupidisms. They're things that make no sense whatsoever, but they feel good when you say them. So I looked at Angela and says, don't ever take your shoes off again as long as you live. <laughs> makes no sense, you know. Uh, all parents have them. A parent will look at a kid in the tree and say, you fall out of that tree and break your leg, don't you come running to me. Uh, Every generation has them, by the way. My mother would say this, don't run around with that stick, you'll poke your eye out. And I had to tell her, you can't poke your eye out. You may poke your eye in, but the only way to poke it out would take the stick and I'll pop it out like that. Well, I was grounded for like a month, you know. So we're gonna follow the McCulloch family because I'm new to Dallas, they drive a gray Buick. One of their girls goes with them, one of their girls goes with us. It's, it spreads out the misery. I don't know how it works, but it works, you know. So, 
Everybody's in the car, going to eat, everybody's laughing, but I am still mad. Late, embarrassed me in front of my friends. I mean, I got the joy of Jesus all over me. Everybody's laughing. And then somebody said, did the McCulloughs get a new car? I look at that car, and the McCulloch kid said, did we get a new car? You know, like they traded in Sunday school or something. And uh, So then I'm really looking at that car, and then somebody said, that's a Cadillac. And the McCulloch kid said, did we get a Cadillac? <laughs> and then the McCulloch kid said, that's not my family. And our car got totally quiet because everybody knew dad is following the wrong car but do not say a word or you will see Jesus today everybody totally quiet except for Brienne my youngest daughter now let me tell you a little bit about child development up to about age seven kids do not have normal brains They have Memorex brains. They just repeat what they hear at the worst possible time. Don't ever say anything in front of a kid under age seven. You don't want repeated at the worst possible time. You know, one kid, every time he saw his grandpa, says, Grandpa, make a noise like a frog. Grandpa, make a noise like a frog. Every time. Make a noise like a frog, Grandpa. Finally, after a month, Grandpa said, I'm sick of this. Every time you see me, make a noise like a frog. Why do you do that? And the kid said, Grandma said, when you croaked, we're going to Hawaii. Uh, So, uh, uh, be careful what you say in front of kids, right? Uh, So, everybody got totally quiet. Didn't say a word, you know, except Brienne. Didn't, didn't have a normal brain, didn't know any better. She starts laughing. <laughs> isn't this funny, everybody? This is really funny, isn't it? I mean, like Angela, she lost her shoes, but Dad, he's lost the whole car. <laughs> I had to pull over and apologize. My daughter said, oh, Dad, it's okay. We all make mistakes. And I promise you, you look back on your life. You'll wish you overlooked a lot of stuff. Learn to overlook. It'll make relationships a lot better. We got to wrap this up. I've taught you some things today, and the problem is not knowing what to do. The problem is having the power to do it. And I want to tell you, there's power just in the name of Jesus. I got this series, and I can't remember which one it is now, where I talk about how it is for a kid when you take a kid to the grocery store. How many ever taken a kid to the grocery store by under age eight or nine? It's an experience, isn't it? You take this kid and you stick him in this iron seat. Okay, kid, I'm gonna stick you in this iron seat and I'm gonna roll you up and down the aisle. Kid, you're gonna see all the wonderful things God ever made, kid. But kid, you're not gonna get any of this stuff, kid. But me, I'm gonna get anything I want, kid. I'm gonna make you sit on everything I get. It's gonna be a great day. Well, you understand why kids don't do well in grocery stores. Lady in Mobile, Alabama, heard that series, wrote me a letter, said that's exactly what I did. Took my kid, told him I'm in a hurry, sit down, I gotta get this done. 
started up and down the aisle just piling stuff on. The little kid just watching all that stuff, watching all that stuff. Said he got about the third aisle. A kid spotted. So look at it. So look at those chocolates. You can have it. Sit down. You know, got a few aisles. Remember those cookies? Sit down. Got to the last aisle. Can I have one cookie? Sit. We're almost done. Said they got to check out because a long line kind of waiting to get to check out. She said, I knew something was coming. I saw his eyes light up. Now, I've never seen the boy. She just wrote me a letter, but you got to see him in your mind. So she's, she, I, I, I see him as like a three-year-old boy in yellow feety pajamas. That's how I see him in my mind. You know? She said, all of a sudden, this little boy stood straight up in his seat, put his hands toward heaven and said, in the name of Jesus, give me some chocolate chip cookies. And the whole place erupted in applause. I mean, they just, she said they just kept clapping. I didn't know what to do. I ran and got the chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> now, what can we learn from a three-year-old boy in yellow fitty pajamas? A couple of things. When you get to check out in life, and you will get to check out, death runs in my family. I think it runs in yours. Pretty much come in this world, no teeth, no hair, no bladder control. That's pretty much how you're going out. You're going to die. When you get to check out, remember the name of Jesus. That's the only name that's going to get you into God's heaven. It's not going to be living good or acting right. Jesus is going to get you into heaven. And then for most of us who are Christ followers, there's some of you and maybe the emotion of love is dead. I would call on the name of Jesus because this Jesus has been known to bring dead things back to life. There's power in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you that you're such a good God and you're our God because of Jesus Christ. If there's someone here today that's never trusted you as Savior, give them the faith to believe, not in a religion or being good, but Give them the faith to believe that you love them enough to come and live a life that they could not live and conquer death because you wanted them in your forever family. Give someone the faith to believe. Give the rest of us the ability to listen to people, to overlook, to value them and encourage them and realize you're the one with the power. You're the one that will give us the ability to do that. Bring us back at four o'clock so we can learn how you designed us and how we can discover the difference will actually be the dynamic in our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Lowry. We are so grateful.